Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. Today, we're going to talk about running. It's exciting because we launched running support, which is pretty cool. We have our CEO, Nate Pearson, here to talk with us about that. We're also going to talk about like different ways to use Trainer Road, different things you may not know to, that will help your experience in getting faster, different tips and tricks, so to speak. And we have Ventum Bikes IV Audrain with us. Congrats, Hi. by the way, Ivy. Uh, Ventum Bikes. That's new. It's not Squid Bikes anymore. Ventum. That is new. Um, does that mean you're going to do triathlon or gravel? <sighs> Which one? Gravel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, I'm excited awesome. about it. It'll be fun. I realize that I like riding gravel enough that I may as well, you know, jump into some races. And it doesn't mean that I have to go try to win anything. Um, I think that's a pretty different goal. And I'm not really ready or excited about that. But just to go be there and go to some more, go to some new places and just be a part of it. Uh, and ride the gravel race will be really nice. I'm excited about that. John, I thought of something. So, so yeah. we get asked to, for people to sponsor this podcast like almost weekly, right? And it's a lot of money because oh, yeah. we get many times a week, hundred thousand <laughs> a week, right, or something like that. Yeah, over yeah. hundred thousand listens a week. Yeah, it's it's perennial. If you look at ratings, everything else, it's the most popular cycling podcast year round. Here's the backdoor entrance into it. You just get, sponsor Ivy with all this shit personally. <laughs> I just, I just swore, didn't I? I'm sorry. <laughs> if you cool. are the title sponsor, then you get a mention on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be just like, just Ivy's personally just, all the way up. And John, I guess you could racking do it too. up cash on yeah. the back end over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, good time. So well, I'm excited to see uh, you race Unbound XL then Ivy. It's going to be yeah, fantastic. Oh, yeah, oh. absolutely. That's it. <laughs> 350 miles. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, why, okay. Why, uh, okay. Nate, why yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Why? Why the XL? <laughs> why? No, he's joking. I would never ever do that. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, thought I missed something. I haven't been on the podcast for a while. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. We have, we have no. um, therapies included in our uh, health insurance. Yeah, so. it's great. Yeah. Don't worry, I utilize it very well. Uh, I I am going to do some longer bike packing trips, um, and that's kind of part of this like partnership with Ventum. Is there will be yeah, there are a lot of things outside of just racing that I'll do, and a few of them are some longer bike packing trips that I'm pretty excited about. Sweet. Yeah. Any of those in the Sierra, uh, like in in our region, or no? Um, probably haven't haven't gotten that far. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep uh, me in the loop, Ivy. Good, cool, that could be a good time. So. Uh, Nate, let's talk about running. <clears throat> so this is something that if if you've uh, subscribed to our YouTube channel, which you absolutely should, if you have not yet, go to youtube.com slash trainer road or just search trainer road, find it, subscribe. You can even hit a notification so you won't miss anything like the announcement that we just published earlier this week that we now support running with trainer road, which is pretty cool. Uh, Nate, do you want to break down exactly what we're supporting, what it is and these cool new run features? Yeah. So we get workouts pulled into us either from our app or uh, Strava, Garmin, Training Peaks, and a couple others. Uh, before, this was only cycling activities. Now we're pulling in running activities. And what this does is they'll automatically show up on your calendar. Um, we have all the you know regular kind of stats that you would expect. Uh, but also when you have planned runs for like a triathlon plan, they'll automatically match and fill in your calendar. Uh, so that's really cool. And it's just available everywhere. It's seamless. You can see more of what you're doing and your calendar doesn't get so cluttered. Um, we also have summaries of the week of like your mileage now too for running. We've, we've always said mileage for cycling doesn't mean a lot. I know some people like it, but it's almost like a, um, a bad thing to 
care about so much, especially when you're going between indoor and outdoor. And now we've done the virtual speed thing to kind of try to get it closer for people who really like it on Strava. Um, but for running mileage usually does matter because you're not doing this hill. You're not doing coasting. Um, usually it's more of a flatter run. And if for those new too, we'll talk about it a little bit. You're not running flat, especially at the beginning. The downhill is what can kill you, which is crazy. Cycling, you're like downhill is easy <laughs> running uphill is easy, like on your joints. Downhill will destroy your knees. Um, so yeah, that's out. We, it was crazy. We had 40 million activities. So we had 150 million in our, for cycling. And then we backfilled everyone's data and that was 40 million, which is insane. And the other new cool thing is that people are now supporting power. So when we first started this thing, like eight months ago, more than eight months ago, it was a, it was a while ago, almost a year ago, I guess we had, a. will go back in story. I'm kind of telling the same story again, but I'll save you more details. (laughs) First start training code, tr- coding trainer, coding trainer road. Yeah. Training coder road. Um, <laughs> you build a database structure to be able to handle multiple activities. And one of the database tables was called workout record just because it was like, Oh, I'm going to do running in about two months. We'll put that in. I was a triathlete at the time. I'm like, of course I want this. And then things got pushed out and like you build a foundation you can imagine, and you have to build all this stuff on top of it. And now if you want to change the foundation, you kind of have to pick the house up and move the foundation while it's you know, change the wheels on the car while I was driving. And that just took so, so long. And we made some other upgrades too, to be able to handle, um, billions of billions and billions of activities and stuff like that. So that all got whirled into it. And that's why this took so long. Um, but power is now available for Apple watch runs. Um, some Garmin Garmin runs, you know, what, what Garmin watches do power? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't know off the top of my head. However, I can confirm that if you have like the latest generation Forerunner, Forerunner 955 Solar, like uh, the one that I use um, for my triathlon training and stuff, that one, it estimates its own power just based, and you don't even need the foot pod. So like it just estimates it based off the swing of your arms. Um, so uh, it's like, basically what that means. Yeah. <laughs> just <to get laughs> swing real hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so basically what that means is that a lot of you, and I don't know how far back that is in terms of backwards compatibility, but a lot of us may have power uh, when we're running and have be able to analyze that after the fact in trainer row, which is super cool. It's It used to be really hard, right? There was like the stride power pod and that was kind of it. And now it's becoming with Apple Watch and Garmin Watch and Koros. And I think even Polar does something like that too. I'm not sure, but it's becoming way more common. And I think we saw that, right, Nate? Like there was a graph that we were looking at on adoption of run power and it's it's really getting steep it's yeah so that we had a whole bunch more um runs coming in with power but still i think it's only about 12 percent of our runs right now have power um but i think that's going to accelerate especially people knowing that they can have it and also for apps that you can upload your run power i really obviously like how ours works where you can like um the laps will automatically be there you can see the average power in there normalized power doesn't matter as much in and running because you're not doing these huge spikes so average is a really good way you're not coasting and then running um, and if you do do walk run, which we'll talk about later too, is, um, you can still see for your running, what that average power is. Uh, so there's obviously things that people will want. Like I want my threshold, um, power and stuff like that. We have not done that yet. It's, there's a huge vision for this, but also we want to get out workers level two, two red light, green light and, and AI FTP update. And those are taking priority. The teams, the team that works on running is now helping the workouts level V2 team. So that is, that's where we're at with that. It's pretty cool. It's exciting stuff. I've been uh, using it, you know, behind the scenes for quite some time now, being able to look at my different activities and it's cool to be able to track it in parallel with all of your other uh, cycling stuff. Nate mentioned that a lot of you run for over 40 million runs. 
it's over 200 million miles that we have in terms of like uh, uh, when you add it all up, enough to circumnavigate the globe 8,118 times. So if you think about that, that's how much. So some of you are probably thinking like, why are you building this stuff for running? Um, reason is a lot of triathletes. And also I think there's a lot of like closet runners, cyclists uh, that are probably listening to this too. Like you run, but you don't want to let people know about it. <laughs> or something. Wait, how many miles did so, you say that was? I think it was 200 million. I could be wrong. 20 that's, million. No, that's not right. Because it's like 5 million, million per or five miles per run. That's yeah. to the sun and back. Plus a little more. <laughs> that's, that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. So yeah, um, it's a uh, it's pretty. It takes awesome. light. Eight, a lot of sorry, you use it. It takes light eight <laughs> minutes to get to us. Like <laughs> that's yeah. that insane. That's okay, wild. I'm going to stop yeah. interrupting you for the rest of this like <laughs> running part. <laughs> for the next 15 seconds. So that's it. And it works already. Like you don't need to do anything as long as you have a trainer road account and you've synced trainer road with like Garmin or Strava or something like that, then your runs will automatically be pulled in and not just moving forward, but also in like in the past. So you'll see all of your runs uploaded there, um, which is pretty great. So go check it out. Go to trainerroad.com. Super exciting day for us. Uh, we're really excited to support the triathletes and run curious cyclists. So Marcus has a question. And it's related to this says, Hey, train road fam. I just saw your running announcement. And as Nate stated, I'm one of those run curious cyclists that doesn't really tell anybody about my weird desires to run. The problem is I'm terrified to run because I feel like it will ruin my training and handicap my ability to raise my FTP. And I assume they're talking about FTP with cycling here. They're not talking about running threshold. So what do you suggest I do to start incorporating running and any suggestions on how to make my cyclist friends not think I'm creepy, weird, insane for doing it? <laughs> Nate, do you want to start because you've been a triathlete and a cyclist? Yeah, it's okay. You can tell your friends you're a runner. They'll be supportive. Like back in the eighties, <laughs> maybe that wasn't friends. cool. Yeah. But now it is. And, uh, okay. First thing is the number one is your aerobic fitness is so high relative to what your, uh, ligaments and your joints can take. And if you try to run until you get tired, it will be a bad day and you'll have injuries and it, you will hamper your cycling training. Uh, the other part is you don't run so much that you reduce your hard workouts. So you can't go as hard on your intervals, but there's, I mean, there's travel, there's time constraints, there's, uh, running with kids and stuff too. Like John has a, a new baby. All these things where running can supplement your aerobic fitness and are a great choice. As long as you don't go to the point that you're going to injure yourself. And the first one is run flat or run uphill. Uphill is better than flat, less, less pain on your joints. And if you're new and you, you know, have a treadmill, you can start running at a little like 2% grade. That's fine. On those big downhills, you, you can go so fast and it's fun. And if you do decide to do it, you have to lean in. If you lean back at all, you're going to be just killing your hips and your knees. Uh, but if you, you have to lean almost forward, like past 90 a little bit when you're running, so you feel almost like you're falling downhill. That's a technique that you can get as you run more. But at the very beginning, when you haven't had a lot of mileage in, I would definitely not do that. Um, two, start with literally one mile or what 1.6K, 1.4K, whatever it is. Um, start like that. It should be you should be annoyed that you spent all that time getting your running clothes on to go do it. And then I would go like maybe a two and then a three and then repeat that through the week for a couple ones, a twos and like a three. You could even do bricks after your cycling run if you want to of like a mile and stuff like that. It's I'm telling you people get in problems when they up their mileage so quickly because it's not going to be hard for you. Maybe that first run is a little bit hard, but you'll adapt your lungs so fast and your legs to it. 
but it's your joints. Um, another one is to, uh, so us cyclists, we go back our knees. Um, I forgot the scientific term for it, but we go the operate like a single plane, single yeah. plane, right? We don't go side to side like a basketball player or a soccer player or a football player. And what happens is our glute medius, which is the muscle on the side of our butt that is relatively weak to like our glute maximus and, uh, like our VMO and stuff like that. And when you run, if you don't have a strong glute medius, you can get IT band issues. And that's the number one injury for injury for cyclists. And that's this, I believe it's this one really long tendon that attaches to your hip all the way down to your knee. And there's a teeny little muscle up by your hip and, uh, inside of there, if you don't have a strong glute medius, you can get pain all the way throughout there. It can come in the hip. It can come in the knee. Um, what I used to do as a runner is I would try to release it myself. And if you pull up on your, this happens to cyclists too, it band problems. But if you pull up in your it band, you can kind of feel it. If you touch it and you're like, you wince, your it band is really, really tight. And it's not just stretching it. It's like, you can do this. Uh, you can probably Google around of how to release it where you pull on it. But also you want to do the, um, the glute medius exercises, which are like clamshells and, um, just go online and get like rubber bands, clamshells. Even if you do like a, a heavy deadlift, just supporting yourself, you'll feel your hips shake. That's your glute medius trying to like fire and, and fix it. All of those things are very, very important. Um, I had something else. Keep going, John. I'll, I'll remember this one. Yeah. With me, I want to just corroborate what Nate said really quick on the mileage thing. So I started running at like to the point now where I can run just fine and I can carry not a ton of mileage, certainly not a running mileage, but, uh, what you'd expect maybe for like a low volume triathlete where I can do, you know, 30 miles a week and I'd be okay. 20 miles a week. Um, and for me, what I had to do is I started off at like 10 minute pace and I started running a mile and I did that three times a week. And that was really boring and it was really like frustrating but it was what I needed to do. And then after a month of doing that, then I stepped up and I dropped the pace and then I increased like to a mile and a half. And then by after like three months, I was actually running around just eight minute, 30 second pace. And I was maybe stringing together like two to three miles. And it was really gradual because all I wanted to do was go run 10 miles. And I wanted to run it at like seven minute pace because that's what felt like I was actually working hard. But like Nate said, just because you're aerobically fit, doesn't mean that you're actually mechanically fit enough to be able to manage all that load. So it took me a really long time. And it's something now that even I just try to run not every morning, but like every other morning, even if I don't have something scheduled, something like that, I just run for like 15 minutes on like the treadmill, something like that. It's just like something you really have to keep up. If you have worked your way into it, then you drop off. You can't jump right back in. Some people can, maybe they have like a, you know, good genes with that sort of stuff. But for me, I have to make sure that it's really gradual and then I have to constantly top it off or else I will get injured. And I'm surprised though about, you know, a run of just, you know, 15, 20 minutes or something in the morning and how once you get used to that, it doesn't really compromise a whole lot of your fitness. Now, if you're really trying to, or your ability to train on the bike, but if you're really trying to push your limits, like on the bike and reach new heights with your FTP and you're the sort of person that's struggling for like, if you get five Watts on your FTP at the end of the year, that's a huge gain. This is an example of you'd want to cut out as many other activities. So you can dedicate absolutely everything to that goal. For me, that's not a priority right now, particularly since I'm doing triathlon, but even then moving forward. And after I do triathlon, I still am going to continue to run because I'm not going to even be training enough to worry about, you know, pushing my previous limits with FTP or anything else like that. Make great points, John. The, when you run that 10, that 15, 20 minutes, 
you got to think of what is the point of this run? And are you trying to, you know, Boston qualify or, or do your first marathon or do your first 5k with that? You might want to try to increase either your mileage or your pace, because that's one of your goals is that. But if you are running the same distance every day, that's perfectly legitimate, perfectly legitimate and awesome. And you can get other benefits of like mental health, general aerobic fitness. Um, you are getting a little bit more uh, fitness, even though it's not directly to cycling. But if you're not pushing forward, doing that, that same one every day, your body adapts to it. And it gets like a new little baseline set. And that can be good, especially for people that are time limited. Like I mean, you're not going to see like um, Matthew Vanderpool, like doing 20 miles a week of running probably during the season. But if you have someone who does, you know, three runs or three uh, TR rides a week and then on Sunday ride, runs with a, with a kid outside for 20 minutes, that's probably going to be more than not doing that. Um, if your body can recover, you know, all those caveats and there, yeah. there's benefits to it. Go ahead, John, or, uh, I'd be sorry. Oh, that's just really important for training in cycle cross too, where a lot of athletes know that cycle cross is coming and, and they're immediately like, wow, it's time to go do a bunch of intervals while running. And you really have to build that initial base and create some sort of adaptation. And it doesn't have to be huge. You know, you don't have to go out and run for 30 or 45 minutes right away, but just to build that really base fundamental level of being comfortable with the mechanics of running for 15 or 20 minutes before you start incorporating some like really short sprints or, um, like running uphill, kind of like simulating what like a cross run up would be. Um, you just have to build those mechanics in that base first. Sprinting uphill, what you said, great workout, especially if you don't, if you have a VO two max or something that you cannot do, uh, you don't have time for on the bike, find a hill. You can run up for two minutes, run up that hill for two minutes, walk back down, take your three minutes rest, do it again five times. Like during a lunch at work that if you don't have access to a bike, that's totally doable. I used to do this with this other guy where he was much faster and we'd first run up the hill together. Uh, and if he beat my 20 seconds, the next time I would get a 20 second head start. And then oh, it was cool. like a race every time. And it kind of gave this like super fun, uh, cause there's no drafting, you know? So it's, it was a super fun race. Uh, yeah. another one that is huge. And this is guys, we have egos. And I understand <laughs> when you're outside and you're probably fitter than most listening to this podcast, when you see someone on the bike, it is easy to try to, you know, catch up to Case. them and not let them pass you. <laughs> um, but on running, the equivalent to that, especially if you're starting, is the walk run. And this too, your aerobic engine does not need to walk probably, but a five minute run, one minute walk will do amazing, amazing things to your um, injury prevention. And I mean, I've heard, uh, what Hal Higdon had his son, he walked every aid station at a marathon and ran like a, I think a two thirty or something or two twenty oh marathon. Oh my gosh. Like it's awesome. it is, <laughs> it can make, it can, it can actually really help people's speed and it, it can refresh your form. Um, so the walk run, if you're just starting out too, like you probably have done unbound XL and you're like, I can run a mile. Well, run for five minutes, walk for a minute, run for five minutes, walk for a minute, and then go home. I mean, you, you know, then you're home or something like that. It's a little more than a mile probably. Uh, so do that. Another one is as soon as you start feeling pain, stop. Like, yeah, you have to. In, in the run. I have done it in a run where I was like, oh, I have a mile left. I'm going to keep going. I had an injury then during that run that kept me out for like two months. That's why I think the treadmill is so helpful because... Uh, if you're running on a loop or something and you're just getting into this and you're a long way away from home and you do suddenly feel like, oh gosh, I got some pain. Then you have to 
get your way home and either you Uber or you call somebody to help you, but you're less likely to do that because you probably have a bit, you know, an ego. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So in that case, you're really likely to just push through when you shouldn't. And it's really nice having the treadmill. You can just be like, Oh, all right, turn it off. Like, um, I'm feeling discomfort. I'm feeling pain. And with running, it's just so easy. If you feel uh, cycling, you feel that pain. You'll see in the workout text, what Chad says is pushing through discomfort is different than pushing through pain. Mm -hmm. And you, with pushing through pain on the bike, it's not a good idea, but I'd argue that you're going to do less damage than if you're pushing through pain on running. It's quite likely that it's going to do some pretty significant damage. So you just really have to be extra, extra cautious. And I do, I, I, I think the treadmill on the other side too is a really good add to this because in a lot of cases, if somebody just has a lot of concrete by them, something like that, like a really hard surface, uh, treadmills, depending on the treadmill can give you a bit more give as well. And that's a small little thing that can really help like that connective tissue when you're starting out. So, um, plus one for, for treadmills. Yeah. John said surface can help. Um, but also times, sometimes when it is, uh, like dirt, there could be undulations that add a whole nother level of injury that could happen. But if you have a, like a, a dirt path right next to a hard concrete next to an asphalt, I would go dirt asphalt, then concrete in order for running. Um, run form. There's a lot of debate on this. I think everyone though is in agreement that heel striking is bad and doing these long gates. You might not be a runner. You're like, I'm going to do these huge strides that that's bad. And that's actually gonna make you slower and cause a lot of, um, extra, uh, force going into your joints, either midfoot or forefront, um, running. And the best way to do that is to have a really high cadence of, you know, 170, 180 beats per minute. And that would be every foot strike would be a beat. And you can go on like Spotify and find running playlists like this. If you Google around, there are amazing people online for free resources on how to do this. Okay. Last tip. This is new for me that I'm doing, and this is for all cyclists, anyone who works at a desk all day and for runners, but is do you guys all, John, you're pretty flexible. Do you, have you all had tight hips? Like oh, yeah. right? that's like why my knees have got, that's like one of the main reasons that my knees have been uh, problematic throughout my cycling history. And I've always had a, like a, um, my upper back's always hurt. And I did some like hip stuff that I'm going to tell you about. And my upper back pain went away. I think I got an inch taller because I think my, my, <laughs> oh, no. I have like a, hold on six, eight, <laughs> not six no, seven I, now. <laughs> I let my hair hit the top of a door frame. I swear to God. Um, oh. the, uh, I know it's like, I'm going to hit my head. This is bad. But my, 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 uh, back kind of has a curve to it. And I think it's my hips get kind of pulled in a certain direction that makes my back curve. And then it then comes out in your upper back. So that's sometimes where you think it's one spot or your neck when it's really your hips. And there are these things called like 90 90s or windshield wipers. Um, oh, yeah. Google that. But for men, like this sounds kind of weird, but I'm saying do this um, on YouTube. Google male pelvic floor stretches. And there are people who will walk you through for 30 minutes. I have it on like um, muted when I'm watching something. And it's just a whole bunch of stretching. And it makes you feel amazing um, for TT position, like having tight hamstrings and tight hips, be able to get in that position. I, I mean, it's that will probably let you put out more power. It looks going to prevent injury. Um, I would do it not, you could do mobility right before you run, but I wouldn't do real stretching right before you run. You could do that afterwards or like separate it throughout the day. This is going to sound like a strong endorsement here of something that we're trying to get at, but it's not that very thing working on hip mobility and being able to do that. That is the primary thing that fixed all of my knee issues and continues to keep knee issues away from me. Um, What do you do? Like, what do you, um, how much time do you put in per week? 
or per, yeah, per yeah so every day it's at least 15 minutes um 15 minutes sometimes 30 minutes depending on uh if i've if i'm feeling particularly uh, uncomfortable or tight or anything like that but it's 15 minutes so it's really not that demanding when you do it all the time it's easy to keep up on it so 15 minutes, I have a thread up on, if you go to the trainer road forum, trainerroadcom slash forum and look up knee pain or knee injury, you'll find a massive thread there. And I have pictures broken down of the different things that I do to work on my hips. And almost all the exercises do a combination of working, like increasing mobility, range of motion, working through your range of motion, but also working on strength and control within that. And those three things have been so huge because like Nate said, our hips just, they, they operate in one specific plane and that's not representative of what real life gives us. And it also creates a lot of imbalances. So. Your hip flexors are shortened probably all day long too. So be able to stretch those out. Uh, I have an 11 year old daughter. She is much, she is ice skating much more flexible than me. And I do with her and she loves to see how much more flexible she is than me. And she like cracks <laughs> my form. She's like, dad, your foot should be here. And I'm like screaming. It's like one of the highlights of her day. <laughs> I, what about you? Do you, do you do anything around this? Oh yeah. Especially with my SI joint dysfunction. Um, I always think that I have figured out what is causing it and what's causing, causing this like pelvic rotation and imbalance. And, um, and then something else pops up and I'm like, Oh, maybe, maybe it's this. So instead now I try to just like apply this blanket strategy of, um, stability and flexibility that, that has helped me a lot. And yeah, pelvic stuff and hip stuff is super key part of that. Mm-hmm. Is that, um, with the SI joint issues, do you, do you find like, is that, I hear a lot of runners talk about SI joint issues when it's like really painful even to take a step like, oh yeah, um, and it's like any sort of jarring or anything else like that. Like if they went downstairs, they'd have to go down really carefully. I hear a lot of new runners talk about that new triathletes. Is that what you experience? Totally. Um, and I had, uh, um, I do a lot of gym stuff in the winter and, um, just had like a weird flare up, um, probably did too much too soon, whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, and yeah, when it gets really bad, um, taking a step or like lifting up one leg to like put on a shoe or a sock or something just like set me off when it's bad. It's really bad. Yeah. It's like, it's like fully debilitating, right? Totally. So. Yeah. When it, in, in the initial days of not being able to isolate it and also not knowing what a core exercise was or anything or not knowing how to take care of myself, it would be, it would be like a bed rest kind of thing. It was pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty rough. So anybody listening to this, it's just about proceeding with caution and making sure that you're mobile and you're strong enough to be able to handle what you're doing, which it's just going to make for better health. I feel better now that I have consistent run volume. I feel better in everyday life in every single way. Like, and it hasn't made me a meaningfully slower cyclist. I think that's because my training volume is way lower than what what it has been in the past. (laughs) Um, but it's, it, you just feel so much better. So yeah, I encourage it. And Marcus, don't worry, um, run and be proud of it. It's good stuff. Kristen has a question says, I love the podcast and enjoy the info and tips so much. And by the way, you can submit questions like Kristen has at trainerroadcom slash podcast. That's how we get all the questions for this every week. Uh, we love how much you all participate in the podcast. It's really cool for like six years now, which is amazing. We're at episode 401. So pretty awesome. Okay. She says, thanks for your dedication to helping people learn how to do their best. It's always a really great listen. And I am excited to hear every episode after listening weekly for a few years. Now I'm finally getting my butt into gear and trying out train a road and I'm just starting, but I'm liking it all so far. Good to hear funnel. Uh, 
years. That's it. That's mm-hmm. yeah. We'll, we'll get yeah. you. Who's listening? We'll get you yeah. one time. Mm-hmm. For a marketing side, people are like, yeah, our funnel's like a twelve day funnel, and we're like, yeah, it's years. Um, <laughs> so uh, the TLDR version, Kristen says, I want to regain some fitness this winter, and I'm motivated to try interval training, which I know is effective, but has always seemed a little dry or unfun to me in the past. So can you provide some tips for an interval newcomer on one, how to succeed on trainer road and two, what pitfalls to avoid on the platform? Uh, for example, uh, Kristen mentions, I'm already aware of the pitfall of trying to fit in a high volume plan. Thanks to Nate and everybody for hammering that home in the podcast uh, for context and success or success for me is enjoying the program, getting fitter and faster and keeping at it in a consistent way. Um, so, uh, With that question, there's a bit more information. I'll read that and then we'll go into it. Um, She says, as a relative newcomer to the trainer row platform, proper proper interval training, can you provide that top 10 list of how to succeed in the platform and five things to avoid? Um, So let's let's cover that. Um, Nate, could you kick us off on this one in terms of when we're talking about the things like keys to or good habits or anything else to have a good experience when you're interval training, particularly with trainer road? Yeah, yeah. You said it, don't do too much volume. And if you find that uh, it could be dry or unfun, it's funny, I find the opposite of just steady state is dry and unfun. Do 45, 30 minute workouts. You can do, there's a thing called train now, just click on that button and choose the time to 30 or 45 minute workouts and it will pick, it'll suggest rides for you. And look at those and see which one looks like fun. One of the two on the right, there's three. Um, and if you don't know, just guess and pick one and you'll just find out what you want. The second one is listen to music. 100% listen to music. Don't try to watch TV. That that load is too high. But the dopamine you get from listening to your favorite music makes you really motivated to train. And then three, like a big old fan. Um, the fan is so important. And we see this all the time where people go indoors. They don't have a fan and they get drenched in sweat. And it, it is... Not only have to have the pain of like the aerobic fitness, but you have to have the pain of like overheating internally and baking your organs, which is a whole nother pain (laughs) that you don't want to have. That's, I mean, other than that, and then like having the, the, your bike set up on the trainer ahead of time, making it very easy to get on training. That's a huge thing. Like if you don't, for those, I'm sorry for those who have smaller places and have to like, or they just don't have a spot for their bike. They have to take it on and off that little bit, at least with me and my ADHD can prevent me, (laughs) keep me riding for like two hours as I want to do it, but don't do it. Uh, those are the big ones I think. And that's the core. And then just be consistent. If you do, uh, Kristen, like three 30 minute rides per week, try then raising one to a 45 minute. If you ever get to the point where you're like, you know what? Afterwards, you're like, that wasn't fun in the middle. It might be like, you're gonna have to have some grit back down the time to 30 minutes. And that that's what I would, that's what I would do a more less is more for sure. It's all about consistency. Nice. Good tips. Ivy, do you have any uh, tips or suggestions in terms of training in general? And then we can get into like the trainer road thing in particular, like all the different things that you can do to, to help your success there. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, I wanted to focus instead on the things that, uh, you know, Kristen asked, asked what you should and shouldn't do to succeed. So I have some good should not do's. Um, Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'll save those. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, one thing that I want to say is with interval training, um, make it like your focus to just, instead of blow your mind with every workout, make it your focus just to nail the workout well. Uh, something that I notice like, a tendency for newer athletes is to try to outperform and get an A++ instead of just getting that A when you mm-hmm. do that workout. 
Um, when you do that, chances are, you know, you might be super fit, Chris, and it might be really fine and not and sustainable for you and not an issue. But in many cases, I see a lot of athletes try to do a little too much, overshoot their targets, ride a little harder than they should, ride a little longer than they should, particularly with interval workouts. You did this for years. Last <laughs> interval. Yeah. yeah. Hero, <laughs> hero poles on the last <laughs> interval, right? Where you yeah. just like go through the roof. Um, it's a temptation. And I think that if what you mentioned here, so you're probably already onto this, Chris, and you're miles ahead of I was for years, but if you want to enjoy training consistently and just have something that you know that like it's a routine that you do that you really enjoy, I feel like just trying to hit those targets with consistency is great. That isn't dry either because it becomes a game to be able to make sure that you can like be really close to whatever the target is. And that's something that I bet you'll find quite, uh, I guess, engaging in that regard, especially like Nate said, if you're bringing, you know, your own entertainment of choice, particularly music, at least for me, is what I, what I like to have with that stuff. Um, the other thing too is you'll see a lot of people say that you need a lot of different like hardware pieces. Like you need like a platform that makes your trainer move around underneath you, or you need X, Y, and Z. Like Nate said, I feel like you just need a fan. <laughs> like if you just have a fan, that's all I would need around me. And I'm set. Like, um, we've been Nate, like we have every possible trainer, trainer device and equipment thing possible at the office, right? Like we could use it all. Yet I just have a trainer and a fan and that's what I use. Smart so trainer. Yeah. Uh-huh. Smart they make it, it a lot. Yeah, they do. Um, and they make it just so that you have more options. If you don't want to ride an erg mode, you don't have to, but you do have erg mode and that's really great to have. So, um, but yeah, I, you don't need all the, all the different pieces, um, a fan and you're pretty much set. One thing too, Nate's mentioned this on previous podcasts and I found it really helpful. Uh, Kristen, you're mentioning having this routine where you're just consistently training and something that's really helpful is pre-mixing those bottles. So if you have like uh, whatever you're putting into your bottles, even if you're just getting like water and ice in there, it's like one less step to you getting on the bike. If you can already have those bottles sitting in the fridge and they're mixed or sitting in the freezer or whatever else, it makes a huge difference. Sometimes it's just the tiniest little thing standing in between you and getting to your training. And when you haven't arranged and organized all that stuff, that one small thing might be enough to stop you from getting on the bike. So, uh, try to front load that sort of stuff. And it really helps the whole process. Ivy, what are the do nots? Uh, your, your dues were great for succeeding with trainer. Um, so my thing, these are kind of to be applied to training. Um, otherwise too, not just within trainer road. So the first thing is to kind of do intervals or kind of stay in the target zone. I see this uh, a lot with (laughs) (laughs) athletes that take their workouts outside um, where uh, you should see your power profile look similar to the shape of the workout profile. Sorry, I talk about this on every podcast now because it's so relevant. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's rampant. It's a significant problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, making sure that your um, your workout profile with power looks similar to um, the profile of the workout, um, and by not doing that and not staying within uh, within those specific systems, like you're developing a very specific skill set with those intervals. They all have a very clear intention to make you faster. And by not doing that, you're just shorting yourself of those benefits. So don't kind of do the interval. Uh, the second one, don't reject your adaptations. Um, <laughs> those are there for a reason. Uh, it's very intelligently looking at what you're doing in your workout and, um, you know, 
our AI knows better than us, knows better than <laughs> me. And it's looked at, you know, millions of how many workouts, Nate? How many millions of workouts? Uh, we're at 150, but it was trained on less than that. It was a subset of like clean data, but I don't know exactly how many, but millions and millions and tens of millions. Okay. Yeah. So don't reject your adaptations. It's very intelligently guiding you forward to make sure your workouts are achievable and still going to move you forward in a way that gets you faster. Don't reject them. Um, finally, don't overthink it. Um, a lot of new athletes that are new to interval training specifically think that every workout should be really, really difficult. And they start to panic when every workout isn't a huge challenge. Um, it's not supposed to be like that. That's not what interval training should be. Um, everything is very intentionally designed. Um, you don't have to empty the tank and super tax yourself every single time you get on the bike. Um, you shouldn't, um, don't overthink it. Don't overthink your progression levels. You're where you should be. Uh, you know, it's really easy to get lost in, in any kind of interval training and wondering if you're doing what you should. Um, it's easy to overdo it. This is like <clears throat> interval training in general. This is why, and this is like going to feel like a hard sell, but this is why we built trainer road to make that whole process a whole lot easier. And we continue to add features to that because it is like a bit more, um, more complicated or difficult to follow if you don't have like a system around it. Um, I want to cover a handful of features that we built in trainer road that I feel like make like the training journey way easier. Uh, for those of you that use trainer road, Hopefully some of these, <laughs> hopefully some of <laughs> these are new you. for you. Um, uh, and then if you haven't used Trainer Road, probably all of these will be new. So I'm going to try to explain this briefly without going into like the context on everything here. But um, first things first, we've already mentioned this on this podcast actually already. But Trainer Road, there's this thing called Ride Sync, and basically what it allows you to do is connect Trainer Road to platforms like Strava or Garmin Connect or Training Peaks, anything else, and that way you can get all of your training information in your Trainer Road calendar super helpful. I'm shocked sometimes. And I see that athletes like haven't synced their accounts and they just have trainer road operating kind of like on its Island and Strava operating on its Island. Might as well connect them. Then you can get all your information in one spot and then all your outside rides get brought in. It's really cool. And your runs now. Uh, also I see some athletes that, uh, we have this tool called plan builder and it does exactly. It's like the Ron Swanson naming convention, uh, for things. It's very clear it builds a plan for you and it's based off of how much you want to train, what days you want to train, what goals you're training for, all that stuff, what events you have. And it's a really awesome tool that sometimes I see athletes not use it and they just drop a training plan onto their calendar in trainer road, use plan builder, like across the board. Even if you just want to drop something onto your calendar, you can still use plan builder to do that. And that way it's going to take into account if you have planned time off or anything else, it's going to plan around that. It's so much better. It'll periodize your training. So then that way you're doing base build and specialty at the right times. It's just so much better. So use plan builder. It's awesome. And when you're doing that plan builder process, a cool tip, you can swap your days around. Uh, you might be like, we hear from a lot of shift workers that are like, I work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, and I need to follow a lower mid volume plan. How do I fit it in? This is the way to do it. it. You can just, when you're building out your plan, you can drag and drop so that you do your threshold days on Mondays. You can do your easy days on another day. You can drag and drop them around. It makes it so easy. And then Plan Builder will remember that when it's building out all the blocks. Uh, it makes it super helpful. You can also, uh, let's say you're like halfway through a plan um, and you're like Ivy and you're like, I'm going to do cyclocross. And then after that, you're like, never mind, I'm going to do Unbound XL and you're going to change your <laughs> mind. 
<laughs> if you do that, you can go into your trading plan and you can see like on your calendar, there will be a little annotation or like a little, um, little block. And it will say like, here's where your build phase starts, or here's where your base phase starts. You can click on that. And when you click on it, you can actually change around the training plan or volume that you're on right there. And then plan builder will recalculate your plan with that new training plan block, uh, which is really handy. It's like an easy, quick thing, more common than switching genres of racing. You can do this to change volume. Like, uh, what if all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I have more or less time to train. Uh, as a result, you can just click on that little calendar annotation when that, and that block starts and you can change the volume. It's really cool. Easy way to do it. Um, Ivy's mentioned workout alternates before, uh, uh, recently on the podcast. It was a big hit. Lots of people love that. It's an amazing feature. That's the sort of thing where if you have a workout on your calendar, when you view it, you can hit something called alternates. And if you tap that, then you can say, well, I want an alternate that's 30, 45, 60, 75, 90, etc. however long you want. And then it will pull in similar workouts that are of appropriate difficulty for your abilities, but at the, whatever duration you need. It's really, really cool. Um, and that makes it so that you can do something that I think is really important with training is do something rather than nothing. Uh, so if you have a day where you're like, I have a two hour workout, gosh, I don't have time to do it. I might as well not train. Well, maybe you have time for a 30 minute workout. A 30 minute workout is absolutely better than doing nothing. So this is a really cool tool and more athletes should use it. Um, you can also like, uh, when you're training on the app and you're training indoors, you can swipe over um, swipe to the, from right to left. And when you do that, you can see like a summary of the different stats that you have. That's a cool one. If you have a power meter and a smart trainer, you can use power match. And this actually, I think Nate, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this was our first utilization of ML, I think with power match. Um, I could be wrong though. No, um, is it a, something else. We tried it and then we used something else. So it was not. Oh, cool. Um, so, but it's, uh, something that we've like iterated on and improved and changed around because we really think that it matters, uh, that your smart trainer holds you to your target of the power that really matters. Anyways, what it does is it uses the power from your power meter to be able to, uh, adjust your smart trainer. So then that way, when you're riding inside and then you go outside, it's not like you're dealing with this weird difference between your smart trainer reading power and your power meter re meter reading power. It's all the same. It's like single source of truth. It's really cool. Uh, it works really well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, a couple other ones when you're on your calendar, you can use something, add something called time off. Uh, if you just click on it any day, it, you can add in an annotation. And if you make that annotation, there's a little option section where you can say like injury, illness, whatever else, and you can have time off. And if you plan that ahead of time, your training plan will build around it. And I have like a little thing that I do personally, and I don't know if anybody else would want to do this, but after I have vacation or after I have anything else like that, I'll actually bump out an extra few days with an annotation and they're like my flex days. So then that way plan builder isn't going to plan something on those days. I can fill it in if I want, but it's a really helpful thing to have and actually we'll put in like flex flex weeks in my training after like an A event or something like that, where I, I don't know what I'm going to feel like after that A event and uh, we'll find out. And if I do that, then that allows me to then go in and I can use something like train now to get intelligent recommendations for whatever workout I should use during that week. It's a really fun way to do it. And if I just need rest, then it's already built for. So that's a good way to use those, uh, time off annotations. Um, so yeah, those are, uh, some of the things that you can do in trainer road that make interval training a whole lot easier. Hopefully you give it a shot. Go to trainerroad.com. Uh, Auntie's question. Auntie says this one, Ivy, uh, this is going to be down your, uh, alley here. I suck at cornering. 
is what Ancy says, not me. <laughs> uh, and Ancy says, last Friday, we rode 150 times a one kilometer, 0.63 mile loop inside a service tunnel. This sounds like a terrible ride, Ancy. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a lot of fun. 150 times? <laughs> yes. Yeah, on a one kilometer loop um, inside a service tunnel. Anyways, within this route, it had two sharp corners close to each other. I typically got behind at least two bike links, which means that I needed to burn matches each time we got out of a corner. Besides using a ridiculous amount of energy, this really started to annoy me during a five hour ride, particularly on a course like that, where you just like do the same thing over and over. Uh, poor auntie. How do I train to corner? I love the podcast and I'm so thankful for your work and app. It's almost completely changed the way I train and feel about training. Sweet. That's cool. Uh, Ivy, what do you say? This is, sounds like almost like a hot dog scenario, like a hot dog crit scenario where it's just like a long skinny course, yeah, Maybe, but maybe like a double apex 90 or something in, in this situation, like two 90 degree turns that make a 180. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious what those corners looked like. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. but too. it doesn't, it doesn't change my advice though. Uh, which is that Auntie needs to work on cornering. And when I see riders that are having a hard time cornering, I know that it's usually due to two reasons. The first that they um, don't know or aren't comfortable with the limits of their equipment. So I see this a lot with riders that are in a like super upright position um, because of their equipment, um, you know, or have like really little tires that have way too much air in them. And so they've either never found that limit of how quickly you can corner and like the ways in which you can lean on your bike or they're scared to get there and find that limit. Um, so that, that can be something that auntie's facing that is like hard to push. It's scary to like push it and find the limit and not every rider can find the limit and know what it feels like without also crashing. Um, so that can be one of the roadblocks to really cornering quickly. And then the second is that, um, when I see a rider that is having a hard time cornering, it's sometimes pretty clear if they're experiencing something physiologically that's making cornering difficult. So being as simple as not being familiar with um, the body position of movements that are necessary to facilitate aggressive cornering. And we're just, you know, talking about like where your leg and knee position is, like which leg is down, which leg is up, like the ways in which your like hip and stability and shoulders are moving when you corner also. And that can also be because of an inadequacy in strength or flexibility that makes all of those things together feel really unnatural and uncomfortable. Um, so Auntie needs to, uh, this is something that I did when I was super new with, uh, a group of other riders go to like an empty parking lot and, um, you know, get some help looking at their equipment and making sure that their tires aren't pumped up to like 120 PSI or something horrible mm -hmm. and, yeah. uh, get some guidance and leadership to just like set up a couple cones or like pop cans, soda cans to practice, like really steering closely around and getting comfortable pushing it and going quickly. And there, there's really no way to fast track that learning other than being in safe controlled scenarios where you can really try to push it. Hmm. Nate, how did you uh, get, because I've been behind you in some crits and you are, you know, at first you were really afraid to corner and to ride in groups and I've been behind you in like final turns of crits where you're taking them just as fast, if not faster than the leaders <laughs> and you're winning. Like how, you go. cause to, 
in <laughs> ego overcomes fear. <laughs> yeah. No, in I, my mind. Asking. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause in my mind, this whole thing that Ivy said about finding the limits, I've spent my whole life skidding around on dirt bikes and stuff like that. So I'm, I feel like I've had that built in and it, it's been hard for me to understand how you could get comfortable with limits like that. How did you get comfortable cornering fast without just crashing a bunch and then finding the limits, you know? Yeah. On the road, I've never found the limit on a corner and I've never slid on a corner. All my crashes have been due to like other people. Uh, mm. What I, the two, two main things. One is I, I saw um, somewhere about the feeling of cornering of when the road pushes back on you, that's good. Mm. And that is a weird feeling where before I thought that was the limit. When the road pushes back on you, that's when you wanted to stop. And that's actually when you're actually turning well, is there's more, there's like a G force. There's like a, a G going into the, whatever your angle is. Um, mm -hmm. The other one is getting my hips right. And I'm, I think there's less room for taller riders with a really high saddle just because they are so much farther away from where the bottom bracket is, where like and where the move bars a little bit. are too. Yeah, it's like leverage, right? You move that yeah. a little bit and it's, you don't have to put as much weight on it to really move it a long ways. And what mine was, is I thought if I'm taking a left turn, my right hip has like a pin in it all the way down to the ground. And that is the only part that will rotate. So my right hip stays there and I actually scoot back my left hip just enough. And what that ends up doing, if I scoot out my left hip enough, if I knock my left hip back is all the pressure automatically goes on that right side. And the kind of the push of the front. handlebar on the inside kind of naturally happens because other times I try to push and I'd almost like just, if I didn't move my hips, I'd be kind of like pushing on the one pedal when I would turn, but I wouldn't be leaning on that one pedal. And there's a huge difference in leaning your whole weight and trying to like almost squat that pedal down with just like a one-legged squat. So those two things together is tilt the hips just a teeny bit. And I'm talking like, you know, an inch or two centimeters. And then the feeling of the road pushing back is the feeling you want. And when you get used to that, it's like skiing has the same feeling too. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you imagine skiing if every time you felt the pushback, you stopped? You'd, yeah, you'd never, you'd never ski. Turn. <laughs> That's what yeah. happened in cycling. Because <laughs> yeah. there wasn't snow to yeah. fall on. Like, <laughs> it's asphalt. Right. That's what's interesting to me is that hearing each person describe that feeling because everyone describes it kind of differently. And then it's going to resonate with one person. Like what Nate said mm -hmm. about, um, feeling the road push back. And that's like the triggering moment that it was like, Oh, that's a good thing. Uh, it's really helpful to ask athletes what they feel when they corner and what they do when they corner, keep a big grain of salt handy because you might be asking somebody that's really bad at cornering. They're just really fast and they haven't been bitten yet by it. Right. <laughs> like, like that could happen. Um, but at the same time, if you just hear at least how they explain it and how they explain what it feels like to corner fast, I bet you'll find something that resonates with you faster than if you just hunt for it yourself individually. Um, that's like, a we, we just, we need to hear things in the words that resonate with us and what we feel. And then somehow it all clicks. Um, yeah, go ahead, Nate. What Pete Moore said on with the Cliff Bar team when they actually tried to find the limits when they were with what uh, Maxis, one of the people from Maxis, is they kept cornering until they could hear a slight ripping sound, like they're and that they go. That's when you're at the limit, so don't go any farther. I've never approached that, John Ivy. Do you hear that sometimes on the road? No. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ivy's like, no. yeah. Ivy's saying, John is not. <laughs> yeah, you can hear uh, you can hear traction, which is. Um, on mountain bikes in particular, it's like everything's amplified and you can hear when you have traction and you can hear when traction's going away. 
uh, because it gets louder when it's going away typically. And I, I, that's, that's one thing when I hear like a, of hearing impaired athletes riding, that's gotta be like, what a different sensation they're experiencing because they're missing that sense that for me, like, that's why I would never dream of like riding with AirPods or something or like, you know, headphones when I'm riding on trail, cause I need to hear the tires. It's like a big part of my feedback loop. So you do hear it. Um, sometimes it's more like a feeling too. You can almost like feel the traction, like things get a bit more rougher, I, I guess, almost like when you're getting closer to losing it. All that changes though. The problem with becoming overly reliant on something like sound or something like that is all that changes in different circumstances. If you're on a really rough road or if you're on a wet road, oh, it's totally different. Like, and you've, you've lost that and suddenly you become like, you kind of go back <clears throat> very far into a safe zone and you're afraid to push the limits because the context has changed. But what Nate talked about of having like principles that you do with your body, no matter those apply no matter what. And then you aren't dependent on the circumstances. So that's like a really powerful thing. Take control over what you do with your body and then make sure that that, you know, tie that in to what that feels like under normal circumstances. When circumstances change, when you get on gravel, when you get on something that's a little bit more loose, it's still the same principles. Um, and in fact, you, you'll just want to double down on doing everything properly and executing those principles if the circumstances have changed. Because in principles you can trust, context will always change. So that's like a really, I love how Nate said putting uh, like almost like like bearing weight on that leg, not just pressing down on that leg. And then as a result, your hips open up to the inside of the turn. And then you'll also, you'll, you'll counter steer automatically. The other hand will press harder yep. on the hand. You don't need to think about that. Yep. Never think about that. Just focus on that leg. And I think, uh, Amber mentioned on the podcast before, put all your darn weight <laughs> on that leg. And it's true. Like I stand on that leg and there are times when I'm going through turns and I know that I'm going to have to fight for traction where my, I, my pelvis is not touching my saddle. I'm not standing up super high, but I'm putting enough weight on that. And there's enough tension through that outside leg that I'm hovering slightly. Like it's uh, I'm not dependent on the saddle for keeping me in that spot. And that's when you really know that you're doing it well. Good. Um, that's good tip, John, is I've actually practiced where on my um, inside foot, I try to unweight my foot because that's when you really know if you're kind of like, you don't want to pull your foot out, actually, you know, that's bad. But if you just pull up a teeny bit, you automatically then too get more weight on the outside foot. And I just want to stress to what you said, John, is that it can be, I don't know if you've experienced this, John, but for us who don't know how to corner for a long time, it can be frustrating because you hear everyone do it, is okay with it. It seems like it. I'm on the podcast for so long, I think it took me eight years to figure out, to have that one word of someone saying, yeah, the road pushes back on you. And I'm like, oh, I know what that is. And then mm -hmm. I finally tried it and I got like more courage and I could do it. Yeah. And it can be frustrating. It can seem like you're the only one that can't corner, but just keep Sounds like with auntie it. in this situation, right? Yeah. It's because it's scary too. Cause um, too, everyone's like, just send it. That's the worst freaking <laughs> advice because I didn't, I wasn't doing it with good skill. And if I just would have sent it like, I'd fall down and crash. And then once you get some, the technique and you get the feeling right and it, you'll know it's really hard. It's like, you'll know when you're in love, like you'll know when you start cornering, <laughs> it feels better. And you're like, okay, that does feel right. Don't just ever send it. I, I I've had that advice so many times. People just go, just keep going faster. You'll be better at it. That's well, that's not true. When you're not sure what to do either. And you're looking at these other people that are cornering really quickly. You don't see what you guys are describing, which is, um, it's hard to visualize when we're verbally describing it. Not everyone is a, you know, verbal learner. Um, but 
you don't see, you just see someone leaning and you like wonder if they're just like leaning into the corner and that's how you do it faster. And what you guys are describing is creating a counterweight on the opposite side of the direction you're turning. And you can't see that um, just from an outside mm-hmm. perspective. Um, so it can be discouraging and maddening to not figure out what they're doing and how to do it better, especially when people are just saying, send it. Yeah. It's like lean and, harder into the corner. What does that mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For the mechanically inclined, what you're trying to do is put more of the weight centered over the contact patch of your tires. Mm-hmm. And if you lean, you just try to lean into a turn, then what you're going to do is put all of your weight to the inside of that, which is just going to encourage you to slide out and it's going to make cornering feel really scary. So that's why you put that weight on that outside is because it actually centers your weight over the contact patch of those tires. And that's when you find the most stability and that's when the road can push back on you. And that's when it can feel really good. So, um, you know, one other thing that I'm thinking of here is this could be line choice too. Uh, and line choices, you can have perfect technique, but if you're taking bad lines, corners are going to feel scary and unstable, especially if you're with other riders. And it can be difficult. Sometimes you have a rider in front of you that doesn't take great lines, or maybe you just don't know how to take great lines. And then your lines are conflicting with the group and it adds extra layers of stress. Um, Ivy in this situation where I think what we're dealing with is two 90 degree turns that you kind of, you should just link together as one, 180 degree turn. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on line choice or what you think of when you're going into a turn? Any advice on that one? Um, well, the most significant is what you mentioned of treating it as one turn. So if you're setting up for 190 degree without considering what's next on the course, um, that can really set you up to put yourself in a weird pinch point or need to reset up for the next turn. And there might be other riders around you or, you know, to get over to that setup, setting up to the next corner might be creating space between the rest of the pack and yourself. So thinking ahead and understanding what that whole turn will look like is important. Um, and then avoiding pinch points. So for something like this, um, you can really get in a tricky situation on the inside of corners like this, where you really need to count on everyone else setting up correctly. Um, on the outside, you need to count on everyone else setting it up for one big turn. And if they don't, or if there isn't enough space or someone's trying to move up on the inside, that prevents you from setting up for the next turn in that 180. Um, you have no choice but to lose momentum. Um, and if you try to force it, you'll crash and hurt yourself and other people. So mm-hmm. <laughs> being in control of uh, where you are to make sure that you're set up for success and have a clean line and clean shot might not always look like being on the inside in a scenario like that. Yeah. Um, Nate, go ahead. I have a question for you, John. I've seen cyclists do this and argue with me. And if I see a cyclist do this, I do not, I'm not behind them at all. And I can think of someone in NorCal who does this. It's when they, <laughs> they do the motor lean where they lean extra like oh, yeah. inside the turn. Why? So why do people do that in moto and why does it not apply to cycling? Yeah. Those are those ones that you'll see it a Sorry. lot of the time. Yeah. Way, way down. Sorry. I interrupt you. Go ahead. And they'll put their knee out too, to the inside. Right. Uh-huh. And you see a lot of people flare the knee out and totally different. Don't flare your knee out on a bike. It does nothing. So the reason that MotoGP riders do that is because they have this pretty massive contact patch with these big tires. Those tires are extremely sticky. And also their bikes are heavy compared to a bicycle there. If you break it down in a ratio body to, to vehicle weight, 
body weight on a bicycle to the bicycle weight, man, body weight weighs way more than that bicycle. However, it's flipped when you are talking about something that is like a MotoGP bike and you have these tiny little MotoGP jockeys, little people, and they are on these really heavy motorcycles relative to them. As a result, they're actually throwing their weight to the inside because they're trying to get the motorcycle to lean more because it's difficult to lean more. You do not have that problem on bicycles. Um, if you flare your knee out, it's sometimes people flare their knee up to help them. Like Nate said, redirect their hips and open up their hips to the inside of the turn. And maybe that's the thing that will help them. But if you're doing that and you're flaring your knee out and leaning your knee down, that is going to put more weight on the inside of your tire, every contact patch and cause it to be more likely that you're going to slide out. The other reason MotoGP riders even put their knee out is it's a gauge. It's a depth gauge. They want to put their knee on the ground. So then they have a clear indication of how much more lean they have as they scrape their knee because their knees have the cups on them. So they can do it, but they make contact with the ground with their knee. So then that way they're like, okay, the angle is closing and I have this much more space in between where my leg is and the bike as the bike continues to lean over. We do not have that problem on bicycles. So no knees, no needing to do that. It's all about that counterbalance of making sure that all that weight is on the outside. If our bikes weighed more, we would be leaning more to the inside, but our bikes weigh practically nothing. With the, so we can't do that. With the contact patch, I just Googled it. A Ducati, like a race bike, 350 pounds. Your yeah. bike, if it's 20 pounds, you're probably a little annoyed. Yeah, like, <laughs> totally. That's a big, big yeah. difference. <laughs> Huge. Yeah, so totally different circumstances. Um the, the online choice, this is like, a, if, if you have the chance, Auntie, to play video games, go play like a video game like Gran Turismo or Forza or something like that. Uh, a lot of Mario time Kart. The, Mar- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, the, the racing games will have a suggested racing line and you can turn that on and it's like an aid to help you go through the courses it's really helpful because you'll start to recognize patterns of what it does in different turns and how smooth it tries to make everything. In general, the principle is if you can avoid sharp angles, the fastest way around a track is the shortest one that avoids excessively sharp angles. Those are the two things that you're trying to deal with. So if you try to smooth out every angle as much as possible, then you're going to be faster around a course because you won't have to correct, reaccelerate, break excessively, those sort of things. So to, to John's point, we did a team, like one of those indoor go-kart racing electric 40 miles per hour. No, it's no one's scared. It's like, you can't flip over. It's just like skill based. Yeah. John smoked us. Right. And just because he knew <laughs> line choice, that was it. Yeah. And all uh, lines. the other people too thought they were racers. Like I race cars, but John knows how to do the better lines. And you beat us by like two seconds, I think, uh, on a lap and everyone else was in with like 200 milliseconds of each other or something like that, like half a second. And John just <laughs> destroyed yeah. us. Uh, yeah. You had a faster car too, of course. Watch the <laughs> racing too. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I slipped the guy five. Yeah. yeah. Um, watch ski racing too. They're like the masters of it. It's that's a really cruel sport because if you don't have perfect line choice, I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how good your equipment is. It, none of it matters. It's all about perfect line choice. So you can learn a lot by watching really good people do that. We did like three races, John. You had a faster car each and every race. It's so Even weird how that worked out. Like changed it. It was weird. <laughs> yeah, just kept dropping them fives every time. So um, hopefully that helps, Auntie. And honestly, what Ivy said is practicing how Ivy was like, go to like an empty parking lot or anything else like that. But you just really have to give yourself the space and time to practice and figure it out. 
like the best people at things, they, they don't always just go to try to race and figure it out in race circumstances. They'll break it down and they'll work on the principles in a totally different circumstance. Um, with dirt bikes, I just used to sit there and do figure eights for like, you know, a whole entire day. The goal was just to do nonstop turns the whole way. It wasn't fun. I wanted to go do jumps, but that wasn't the way to get faster. And with cycling too, you see the best cyclists work on these drills, um, that, that help them improve. So introduce that. Okay. Uh, if you're joining us now on YouTube, thanks by the way, uh, it's good to have you all. You can go there once again, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends and rate it. Uh, Chris says, why hasn't coach Jonathan been sharing any of his learnings from his tri training so far? Is he following a plan? Why is he training so little? How in the world has he dropped his swim time so quickly? The people want to know. Nate, do you want to drive this one or else I'm going to feel like I'm monologuing the whole way. John, why did anything happen in your life to reduce your training volume? Like at all? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Baby. She's six months old and man, she does not sleep. Um, it's pretty rough. So it's like sleep? Simon was pretty good. Yeah. He was like a pretty easy kid. And, uh, yeah, right now, no, uh, poor Emma, she's like up every hour, um, every night. So that's just <clears throat> the way it goes. Yeah. It's rough. So it's, it's hard to parents. Like, it feels like it's I'm like, uh, we can't do another day of this. And then it's like, we can't do another day of this. And, mm -hmm. but I somehow keep doing it. So I need to look back to recognize that at least we can. The, so. the other part of that too is <laughs> parents, first time parents, their kids sleep. They're like, we're the best parents. We're like, yeah, we are. Everyone else is just <laughs> yeah. so bad. And then you have another kid and the kid just cries and you're like, oh, this kid, I can't believe it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. it is, it all is per kid. Like, yeah, they're all different. So, uh, it's tough. So John. When you go into triathlon, your goal is right now, Oceanside 70.3, correct? Yeah. On April 1st. April 1st. So mm, really soon. And you came in. <laughs> I know. I know, right? Um, you came in with a fantastic bike, right? Like your, your yeah. bike, you did Xterra. You beat everyone by a ton. Your bike too. You're, yeah. You may not win the bike split, but you'll be one of the top ones in the age group. And I'm sure if, you know, it's all about overall speed, not the best bike split. So what you have then is running and swimming and running, you're a jerk. And your first 5k was like 17 minutes, right? Without training. 18. Yeah. 18, 18 flat. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yes. So running to, uh, while you still is a big part of the race and you gotta be fast, it's still not something that's going to be huge. Yeah. Swimming though. How have you, so knowing these skills and stuff, how did you use plan builder? how did you pick a plan and train road, the volume? How do you, how do you do it? Yes, I did low volume, not because that's what I needed for training, but right now, <clears throat> and this brings up a really good point. I don't have the time to do more, but I also don't have the stress headroom to do more. Like my life is topped up on like stress from different sources. And if I add in more training, I'm not going to get better. I'm just going to get slower and it's going to make all the other aspects of my life tougher too. So <clears throat> forgive me. So I uh, picked low volume. And low volume is a challenge for me to do. Like I, I'm not perfect in hitting my workouts every week just cause I don't have time, but I try. So <clears throat> forgive me. I need some water here. Uh, Kona qualifiers. What I've done I'm sorry. I thought you were going to talk. I'm interrupting so much on this guys. I haven't been on a while. I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot. I get so excited, <laughs> I, but I'm still going to tell you this. Uh, John has interviewed so many Kona qualifiers that have done low volume. Like yeah, that's, it's crazy. that's so important to say is we call it the Kona volume or something like that. It just doesn't mean you're going to be slow. Okay. It's better to be consistent. Yeah. And for me right now, what I've done is I've used plan builder to then kind of balance things out and to give people some context on Mondays, I have a bike and a swim on Tuesdays. I have a run 
On Wednesdays, I have a bike. On Thursdays, I have a run and swim. On Fridays, uh, we have a four-day work week here at Trainer Road. And on Fridays, I'm able to arrange to have a nanny uh, there on Fridays during the, the morning of the day. So on that day, I have a bike and swim. And sometimes if I need to adjust things, I'll throw in a run or something else that I missed earlier in the week into that day so then I can make it up. Um, and then on Saturdays, I bike and run. Sundays are my day off. I'm at church. Lots of busy stuff there. So let me so say I, three I, swims, four bikes, three runs. You're doing an extra bike, even though your bike's awesome. Why is that? Yeah. The reason for that is because um, typically what I do on Saturdays, I want to have room, and we haven't had any possibility to do this, but we, I want to have room to be able to go ride my mountain bike on Saturdays. Uh, because it's like very personally fulfilling for me and I really enjoy it. And it makes me love riding, training, everything else like that. Um, we haven't been able to ride mountain bikes in our region because of a brutal winter in a long time. So typically what I'm doing there is I'm just doing like a a shorter, easier ride and it's in the TT position the whole time. Um, and I've been working on that. So that's how I've laid it out. And I train, I have to train in the mornings. Uh, so I train at five 30 in the morning. And then, uh, how is that with on, sleep? Like how I did not understand how y'all do this. Were you, have you always been a morning person? Or are you forcing this five thirty thing? Yeah, I've been a morning person, but morning workouts have always been tough for me, but I found that afternoon or evening workouts were tougher because I was drained by the end of the day. So it's like, it's not ideal, but it's the less bad option. If that makes sense. Like, um, cause I, <laughs> the way it, ideal would be like, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like if I was, if it was ideal, I would train at like nine in the morning or something, but that's like our most productive day when we can get our most productive time when we can get so much done for work. So mm-hmm. if I'm doing that, then I would then be putting myself further behind in the things that we need to do at work, which would add enormous amounts of like disappointment for me and stress too. So it's really like training is a lower priority than my family and a lower priority than my job, right? So I have to move it around and it's either in the evenings, which is really tough. And then I also miss out on that time when we're all together as a family mm-hmm. or I get in the mornings and I have found like the balance of personal fulfillment and everything else is higher right now when I train in the mornings. John brings up a lot of good points of optimal air quotes and then enjoyment. And like he talks about that Saturday, right? And the enjoyment part does make it optimal. Like, cause right. you can think of just like a, without emotion and just like a robot. Ivy, when do you do early mornings? Like how do you? No. Couldn't no, be right? me. No. It's horrible. <laughs> Could not be me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. John, do you it's use caffeine? Eating. I know you're, you're, you don't drink coffee or like tea, no. but do you do like gum or like a caffeinated gum sometimes in the morning or how do you manage that? None of it. Um, so I just take in, uh, I just take in my drink mix at around 90 grams an hour. And that's as soon as I get on the bike, I'm just sipping that. And that's what I do. And I I don't swim in the morning. That's one thing that I know is a bit different. I know a lot of people always like swimming is common to do in the morning, but you have a hard time with your like local pools and like a hundred people being there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a nightmare. It's like so bad. Uh, We have no pools here, relatively speaking to the population that wants to swim in the mornings. And um, master's swim. I'll go into this in just a little bit, but it was really bad for me. Um, instead finding other pools where we could actually get to swim at, I have to share a lane with like five people and it's a small lane in the morning or yeah, for I, masters. Yeah. Yeah. And then for the, all the other pools, it's just as bad in the mornings. So for me, I found that I was getting like really frustrated cause I couldn't do my swim sets and I'd have to wait and it would prolong this. And then I was like, 
ending up, I was showing, I was, wasn't able to help my family get out the door in the morning or wasn't able to do this. So instead I can control my bike and run perfectly in the mornings. So since I can do that, I do my bike and run in the mornings, um, whether whatever day that falls on. And then I swim and I've had to find a time in the afternoon to swim. So it's like 2 PM in the afternoon is when I can actually get a lane where I might share it with one other person or on a great day, I get it alone, uh, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. So so John doesn't it's like been to share really tricky. How do you do no. the morning? <laughs> I don't, we get this so often and you're, you've changed this. What is your schedule from like, you wake up at what time, what time do you wake up? And then how soon do you get on the bike? And then what's your procedure in between there as far as like nutrition or other things to get you like awake and alert? Yeah. So five, 5 AM is when I wake up five 30 is when I'm on the bike. Um, and at 5 AM and to do this, let's actually start the evening before. So I am, I get my kids in bed at seven 30 is when my son starts his bedtime routine. And right around then is when our daughter starts to get tired enough to be able to sleep for the first little bit. She sleeps great for the first two hours. Then after that, it's, you know, wild. But, um, but anyways, at that point I'm in bed at eight 30 and I don't touch my phone after 6 PM. That's been a big change for me. And it's really helped. Um, cause then I get way more time with my family and I also, I'm not revved up and, after that, so 8.30, I'm in bed, and then I read with a headlamp, and like I have a headlamp that has like the red light, right? And it's really low, um, and it makes it easier. It's not bright, not disturbing my wife or anything else. And then that makes me super tired. I fall asleep, and then that gives me, I'm getting like eight hours of sleep right there, um, even though it's interrupted. Uh, you know, I can't control that part, but at least it's eight hours of sleep that I'm trying to do. And then that makes it so that at 5 a.m. it's really not too tough. It's like it was like a week adaptation period. Mm -hmm. And then 5 to 5.30, um, I am reading again in the morning. Um, and then after I – and I'm just catching up on stuff. Go to the bathroom and then have my bottles already mixed, have my kit already laid out, and I get on the bike. Wait, so so I, I struggle with this. I don't think I'm the only one. Ivy, does your alarm go off and you like stay in bed for a while? Hit the snooze 100 times. Yeah. And can, my, my question for like John was going to be at what point do you – like, are you so fatigued and so tired from either messing up your schedule the day before or um, from not getting good rest? Like, when do you know that the training in the morning isn't going to be beneficial and how do you make that call? But yeah, sorry. That's Nick, what was, no, no, that's a great say? question, Ivy. That's a better question than I had. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I struggle with that. Um, and sometimes like, and I have to remind myself that something's better than nothing sort of a thing. So what I should, I'll tell you what I should do. And then I'll tell you what actually happens in most cases. But what I should do is I should just be like, today's a 30 minute day and it's going to be easy. Like, and that's going to be it. And if I need to end at 30 minutes early, that's okay too. Just like get on the bike, maintain the habit sort of mm -hmm. a thing. Um, what happens in reality is I'll get to the point where I'm like, oh, I really want to do this workout, but man, I feel so exhausted. The workout's intimidating me. I don't know if I can do it. And then I sit there and I'm like, maybe it's better. I just do some strength training, mobility work <laughs> and I don't do the bike workout. Um, so I, I, I think that I could be better in that regard. That's one thing. And it's tricky because life does throw you curveballs for sure. Luckily right now, like a lot of the work tends to be sweet spot or like tempo endurance and sweet spot with the half distance plan. So it makes it a little bit, uh, I'm not facing like, you know, five by five VO two in the morning. That would be horrifying. But we'll find out how I do that because after triathlon, I'm going to be going into cross-country mountain bike training. So so when your alarm goes off at five, you know, Sarah's there, do you mm -hmm. jump out of bed or do you sit in bed and like catch up on the stuff that you missed from 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. the night before? 
I get out I of struggle. bed. Yeah, that's yeah. so I hard. Use How do you watch. do that? I don't know. I just, I tell myself I can't not. Um, started on my mission when I was 20. Um, I wanted to obey every rule with right. absolute exactness, right? And yeah. nobody was forcing me to do it. It was just like, my brother told me, be exact. Like, do but everything with exactness. You have your, um, ever since then, it's been a thing. I'm sorry, your companion's there too, though. And let's, uh, having totally. someone else get up at that same time, and then you guys yes. exercise. You said what thirty minutes or twenty minutes exercise every day too, like right in the yeah, morning. Yeah, thirty minutes. Yep. And then read. yeah, and a lot of the time your companion was like, "No way!" And they just stay in bed and they want to throw a pillow at you or something. Oh, really? So it was really hard on learning how to like motivate them, you know. And um, but I also use my watch to wake me up, and it vibrates instead of waking up my wife. And You're such the vibrating is is annoying uh, for me. Right. And I want to get rid of it. So, and I know that if I snooze it, it's just going to keep annoying me. So in my mind, that makes no <laughs> sense. It's just like, yeah, turn it off and get up and get out, you know? So yeah, it's just like, uh, the one spot, like I don't view it as a decision. I remove decision fatigue possibility from that. It's just an action. It's like a, it's like a action and reaction sort of a thing in that one. So I need like yeah. the other people counting on me, like meetings or something mm. like that. And even there, I'm like, slide in, you know, right at the timer. Sometimes it's like a minute late. Uh, yeah. If you guys could schedule harder. a meeting with me every day until we have time <laughs> at like 7 a.m. That would the, really help me a lot. <laughs> that's what we want to do with group workouts, right? Like the the live where you're actually with people totally. and it'd be cool to have so many things, but yeah, yeah I, I, that actually stresses me out more when I know that people are there and I'm more mm. likely to actually crumble under that and something, you know, like, and, uh, for me, it's like, I'm like, I have this realm of control or I know I can control things about myself and the decisions I make. So I rely heavily on that. And then when I have other dependencies, I'm like, Ugh, it really kind of, it causes me to delay or to, to hem and haw with the whole thing. So it sounds like you're intrinsically motivated and you like to have control over your life. A hundred percent. Those are, yes. Those are important to you. Which is a big weakness when life throws you curveballs because mm. that like to have control over everything. So curveballs are always really tricky for me to handle. Um, we're probably getting into the weeds, but hopefully this is helping somebody with, with no, all this. I mean, um, I, there's probably half the audience that wants to wake up early. And yeah, I just gave up. Not One thing happen. that I've found, and, and I know that we've preached this like ad you know, nauseum here, but when I get on the bike for the first 10, 15 minutes or something, I don't feel great. But when I'm taking in my drink that whole time and I'm drinking 80 to hundred grams an hour of carbs, I start to feel really good. Like it's, I feel fine. And your body, when you take in carbs, if you just deprive yourself of that, it's going to make it really tough. If okay. you give it to you and I don't need to eat something beforehand. I'm just, I get on the bike and I'm drinking those carbs. Swim was, technique. That's another thing. Yeah. A lot of people are problems with swimming. You got, what was your, how you used to like actually worried about physically drowning. Like that was a fear, right? Of drowning. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Which is super common. Like I was even on swim team in high school and I was like, am I going to drown in this thing? So if you have oh, yeah. that fear, I just want to know that it's common and like, don't invalidate your fears. But John, what were you at and what'd you get to in, in what amount of time? Yeah. First, when I was a little kid, I was being dunked repeatedly by a swim instructor and I was like panicking and choking. And ever since then I've had this like pretty yeah, traumatizing. Yeah, it's like yeah, send like, it, right? Just send it. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's exactly right. And then you're just sending people down terrifying and horrifying experiences over and over. Um, and ever since then, like I've been able to like go in water, just fine. Cliff jumping in lakes, wakeboarding, whatever else. But I noticed that I had this trigger and I didn't realize I had it, but I had this trigger when my face would be in the water. 
and my face would be in the water, like my whole body would tighten up and I would, and it wasn't tightened up so like I couldn't move and I would, you know, just sink or something, but I would lose my ability to be conscious of what I'm doing and anything else. And it was just panic. It was like my central nervous system just locked and breathing would just instantly go out the window and I would be panicked. I'd feel like I was choking and couldn't get any water or get any air. Um, so for me, I was panicked about that in a shallow pool. I knew I wouldn't drown, but my body didn't know any different, if that makes sense. So like when I got in the water, my body was like, you're dying. And, but I, I, I can touch the bottom, but it doesn't matter. Your body was like, you're dying. So that was really hard to get over. And at first I went to master's swim and I was told that I shouldn't go to master's swim because I couldn't get across the 25 yard pool without stopping like three times and panic breathing. Um, there were like, and I don't mean this is disparaging in any way, but there were like folks that were like old folks with water wings that were like recovering from injuries. And they were just like smoking me in these lanes. And I was stuck with the water wings folks. And they just said, yeah, you, you're, you're not ready for, for this. So I went, and then I think the first time I could swim 400 meters connected, it was two, I did like two minutes and 35 seconds per 100 for 400 meters. And now I can comfortably, comfortably swim 400s at 130 per 100. So a huge drop. Um, so I over, yeah, I overcame that trauma. And one of the biggest things is just spending time in water. I spent a huge amount of time at the pool with my son last year doing silly games, like Mm -hmm. dropping something on the bottom of the pool. And then we'd swim down and we'd grab it. And then we'd come back up. And I did like a huge, and it took a long time to repattern and recondition my body. Cause initially every time I left the pool for about six months, you know, that feeling you get when you get in like an argument with somebody or you nearly get in a car crash and your whole body is just like, yeah, uh, when you mountain oh, bike. it feels terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had no clue. This is what you were experiencing when you were mountain biking, physically shaking this. And yeah. I felt really bad about like taking you on the trails that we did and doing everything else because I didn't realize that sure. we were putting you into that sort of sure. scenario. <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's my responsibility um, to tell you these things and not do it. It's my life, but yeah. Um, it was really hard. Like for like three hours after every swim, I would just be like trying to come down from this traumatizing experience. Um, but spending a lot of time in water helped me recalibrate that. And it just was time. And eventually I got to the point where I was able to still be aware of what my body was doing, um, and calm that central nervous system response and kind of repattern it. So that was really helpful. Um, I went back to master's swim to a lot of stuff. I never felt like I was getting great advice. Um, I have really high, like highly developed proprioception from ski racing, motocross, and my dad being a technician and always working on that with me. So instead, YouTube, there are a lot of fantastic analysis videos on there. Specifically, there's a guy named Brent from Effortless Swimming. Um, I don't pay for his service. This isn't like any sort of ad. His analysis is very, very good. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sponsored. His analysis is so good and I watch all of his videos and I pick up something from all of them. And then when I'm in the water, I don't find swimming boring at all. Uh, A lot of people like, yeah, I need music to listen to. I am so hyper-focused on technique and how that went on every single stroke that it's extremely engaging for me. And I'm really starting to enjoy it. Like, I think I'm actually going to be a lifelong swimmer. Like that's just going to be a part of my weekly routine just because I love that part of it. Um, you get to constantly improve. So that's been really helpful. Um, the one thing, and there's way too many small technique tips to cover that I've learned. So maybe check that out, his stuff on effortless swimming, but, um, also working overhead, Nate, I don't know if you like, like 
with strength training or with cycling, you don't do anything over your head unless you're crashing. That's the only time. Like <laughs> there's nothing overhead. So you put I the bike on the a, roof of the car. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a really hard moment. Um, so I had like developed a huge like restriction in mobility and then also mm-hmm. in strength and being able to operate overhead. And when you're swimming, you're overhead and you need to be able to pull and do a really dynamic movement with your shoulder. And I faced overuse injuries too, uh, really early on with it where I was, my shoulders are just hurting so bad. And that compounds when you're running too, because if you've got some issue and inflammation from swimming and then you're running and you've got your shoulder swinging in this position all the time, it makes it worse. So I did, I did and do a huge amount of overhead work now. Um, so whether it's like some basic ones that I do kettlebell cleans, partial Turkish getups, what I mean by that is like you can lay on your back and then you can like raise the kettlebell up and then you do basically like half the Turkish getup so that you're getting up on your elbow, but it's really working on extending your arm and working on that strength that you have all the way through it. It doesn't Super work, helpful. right? If you don't have the range of motion, that thing is impossible. If you don't have it, it's like so sh- hard. Yeah. That's a really the good kettlebell tip. starts waving around and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't have any control up here. And it's now it's almost like a, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Now it's like all balanced and feels calm and composed. It's almost like a weighted stretch because like you have the weight in there and just right there and you're struggling and that's, yeah, that's a really good tip. Yep. It's super helpful. And then like, if you don't have any equipment, you can do pike pushups. And what those are basically like, you're doing the pushup that you tell your five-year-old son to not do when they just stick their bum up in the air, mm. you know, like a volcano. Um, but if you do that and then you're doing like, you put your head pretty low in between your shoulders and doing just pike pushups like that, that's one thing that can really help. And you don't need any equipment for it. Um, pull-ups or lap pull-downs, that sort of stuff too. And if you have like access to a TRX system or anything else, you can really get like advanced in what you're doing and it can help, but overhead exercises were super helpful. Um, use pool paddles sparingly. I had one person tell me like, yeah, use the paddles all the time because it's going to develop a really good feel for the water that blew my shoulders to pieces. Um, like you have to have a lot of strength and mobility to be able to use paddles with like for any significant portion of time. And if you're starting out, you're not going to have it. Sorry, what are these for someone that has never done swimming? So your hand (laughs) is a certain size. And what you can do is there's a piece of plastic that you connect to your hand with these little like rubber things that go over your fingers. And there's different size ones and some of them have holes in it, but it doesn't make the contact patch with you in the water bigger. So it's kind of like you're with every pull, um, you're lifting weights and you have a, a whole bunch more force. But what can also happen is you have too big of paddles. You can't really push them through at the rate you want. And you like start to slide, slip through the water where you like move your finger a lot of bit and it can develop really large, um, really bad habits. And especially if you're swimming in a group, again, male ego, you're like, you see someone like a 12 year old girl wearing have like one size paddles. You're like, I'm going to be bigger than that. She knows technique and she's probably stronger relative to her body than you are. And you go bigger and you start to develop either injuries like John said, or overuse syndrome, uh, I mean, sorry, not a bad technique by slipping through the water. And what John said too, is just, you got to develop the technique first and then you can kind of add it. And it, it is a very useful tool in certain situations, but the paddles range from like almost like smaller than my hand to like real giant, giant paddles. Yeah. And what I found too with it, I had a really good tip. They said only use paddles when you're doing cool down level pace or like, you know, that sort of thing. So in that way you aren't tempted to just try to, cause it's, you can go super fast with paddles. Like you can really increase your speed. Um, but that forces you to not be pulling too hard on them. So it's really helpful. Um, uh, that was one thing that I found. And then in addition to that, I have never been 
done a sport where I got so much conflicting advice and so much advice from everybody. And every time like, uh, you go to the pool, you'll get somebody who is like, used to be like a collegiate swimmer. Or they used to be a swim coach or something, and they're going to give you lots of tips. And I like thank them and I'll just smile and nod because at first I took everyone as gospel and I was just super confused because everybody does swim slightly differently, particularly triathletes. They swim very differently and you'll get a lot of conflicting advice. Just like Nate was talking about, he needed to hear things in the right way to corner. Um, maybe you need to hear something in the right way to swim. So it's good to get all that advice, but keep a grain of salt handy. Cause I got taken for a ride with that for sure. Um, can I rip through just a couple of other things yeah. with the bike and, and then are we at yeah. the nine 30? Yep. And then we're going to, yeah, cool. Let's, yeah. let's hear the bike. So the bike, the TT, you had an extremely low CDA on when we did yeah, when 0. We tested 0. It. 0. 0.19, which is incredibly low, like lower than a lot of world tour pro riders, not the best, but a lot of them. And if you were also very small, like you were very low on the bike, but you had on your speed concept, like the most stack you could have. The least amount of stack. I the was least like amount slammed. of stack. Oh, I'm sorry. Least amount of stack. Yeah. So yeah. what did TT a lot longer than a 40 K TT, the half yeah. Ironman, what would you do? It's so much better now. Like not having UCI rules. I'm higher. So I got a stem spacer. I got a longer and taller stem as well. And then I also got new, um, extensions that were a bit longer as well. All this is really hard to find though, because they don't make the bike or the parts anymore. That was really tough. Um, if anybody has speed concept, longer extensions, or if you have the mono bar thing, please let me know. I'd be interested in buying it from you because <laughs> I'd like to have longer extensions and I can't find them anywhere. Trainer roads um, classifieds. We need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been really tough and it's probably not the best size for me for a triathlon. Um, I, if I sized up, I bet that I could get a more comfortable position, but I also don't want to like spend that sort of money on this sort of thing, because it's not like I'm going for some sort of national championship or anything else. And I'm comfortable enough and much more comfortable on the T on the TT bike now before holding the position was so uncomfortable for me. It would be fast, but really uncomfortable for Oceanside in particular, uh, I knew that I was needed to be more comfortable. So making those adjustments, I also tried that dash saddle, Nate, that you had, um, mm -hmm. it was here in the office. Um, I put it on the bike. Hopefully that's okay. Yeah. Um, and that one is really way more comfortable for me in the aero position. It's terribly uncomfortable when you're out of it, but in the aero position, it's really good. And that's been really helpful too. So now I'm doing like all of my training in the aero position. And then like during rest intervals, I'll sit up sort of a thing, but on days where I feel fine, I just stay even down in the aero position on the rest intervals. Yes. My FTP is, is might be lower, but I also detrained a lot before this with a vasectomy and with everything else, I really detrained with the baby and all that. So I don't know, maybe it is just my FTP in general and it's just really low because I'm not able to train and not able to recover and absorb training right now. But yeah, I'm like comfortable. I think that for the race, I'll probably be somewhere around like 240, 250 Watts maybe for the whole thing. Um, that is Maybe extremely fast for, for so, half and like right, your weight. What's your kg in pound? I'm a hundred this morning. I was 151 pounds. So getting that yeah. swim, swim strength on. I know packing yeah, right? on muscle. So, exactly. um, um, yeah, so that's where that's at, but it's been really tricky to figure out like the saddle thing, but just, there's no easy solution to that it's just trial and error. And then on the run, um, we already talked about working our way into it really gradually. I focus on form entirely. Like every single time, every single step, I'm just focusing on form. I have some cues um, to keep myself forward, uh, to be engaging my core. 
And then also like my cadence is pretty quick. Um, I worked briefly with like Bobby McGee on some coaching stuff and he had me working at like 185 to 190 cadence. And I now reside comfortably around 182 to 186. That's like where my cadence sits. I think that's really helped me to avoid injury. It's also really like I've learned to run slowly that way. And that's been really interesting because I didn't know how to run slow. I only knew how to run fast. And that's been really helpful. So, uh, have <laughs> Isn't that funny. Yeah, like, I just yeah, can't do right? it. I just can't run slow. Like, <laughs> must, must be nice. I wonder yeah. what it's like. <laughs> it's impossible to run a 10 minute mile. Yeah. It just felt like awkward or uncomfortable. Like I felt yeah. unbalanced. Like I didn't know how to, to do it. So that was really helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it's running, I think is like probably my favorite of all three disciplines. And you're talking about TT stuff, that sort of thing. I enjoy mountain biking way more, of course, but running, I, it's so much fun. So Are there I have no clue what I'm going to get. Yeah, I think I'm going to do uh, an Xterra next year. I might do one in the fall um, this year too. I don't know, but my plan is like a triathlon every year. And then after that, I'll focus in on mountain biking until I get to the point where my life allows me to train enough on the mountain bike that I can compete for a national championship. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, then I'll, I won't do a triathlon and I'll just be focused on just raising my FCP to all new heights, that sort of stuff. But right now that would stress me out a ton to have that as a goal because I wouldn't be able to dedicate enough time to do it. Right. So this yeah. is much healthier. You need a lot more hours to get that national champion on mountain biking. But John, I believe you can win a national championship in Xterra. I really do. I'd be like, fun. We know the people like we have a lot of, we have like so many, Matt, Matt Balzer and then our own Brandon Eade, who is world champion in Xterra. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. you can do it with your mountain bike skill and your running pace and your swimming is getting so much better. Your swimming gets a little bit better. You're in that front pack and then you're going to smoke them all in the back. Yeah, it'd be, uh, it'd be super fun. It might be, that'd be fun to go for an Xterra national champion. Just try it. I mean, you don't have to, it's not, yeah. the, I feel like in mountain biking, there's very much a lifelong goal to do that. Where the exterior yeah. one is like a, oh, this could be a fun, who cares? It's not really that big of a deal. There's less pressure. And why not yeah, try? For sure. Yeah. And I'm in a fast age group, like at Oceanside in particular. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like the athletes, when you look at their times, they are so fast. Like so fast. I think that I would need to swim like mid to low 120s, um, on like 100s. Um, and then on the bike, I'd probably need to hold 250 watts and then... I would then have to run like six thirties or less like for, um, on miles pace for the half marathon. I can't do that. Like there's, you know, so I, if I get like top 15, that would be amazing. Looking at like the results in past years, that would be That'd huge. Be That'd be top 20 would be more realistic. Um, but I'm really just going out there to try something that's like a half, you know, a half Ironman's a big thing for me. So it's going to be fun to try. Um, I'm excited. And if you're going to be at that race, I, I'm stoked to see everybody out there too. It'll be a good time. Cool. Looking forward to it. Uh, I think that covers it. Um, well, uh, this has been fun. Good to have you back on Nate. Uh, Good to appreciate be here. It. Sorry. I word yeah. spewed everywhere. I feel like Ivy, we should have, should talk to you more. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like I'm, running in triathlon. I'm like, this is my thing. I think <laughs> it was done on purpose. I've been on for a while, but I'm sorry Ivy, that we didn't get to hear more from you. No. Can we ask Ivy what your like uh what do you know what your next race is and what you're gonna be doing? Sometimes you race mountain bikes in oh, the spring, yeah. but I don't know. I think I'm gonna do BWR Scottsdale. Um the gravel race. Yeah, out That's in Scottsdale. Soon. Yeah, yeah, it's soon. Right? It's like first week of March. Um and Ooh. it's been tough. I've had a hard time getting into a good training rhythm here after 
being sick for so long and being uh, it being like as low as negative 12 outside haven't gotten. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how fit I'll be. And so I'll uh, opt to do like one of the shorter ones just as a training exercise and to go see people and be part of it and have fun. It'll be great. Awesome. Cool. And then uh, mountain bike racing in the spring, too. Yeah, we're doing a single track six, right? I think well, that's in the summer. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. We're doing that. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's going to be amazing. Might do soldier hollow. Maybe. Um, sweet in May. Yeah. First week of May. Is that spring still? Yeah. Yeah. Best cross country race in America right there. Best one should be a world cup. A hundred percent. So yeah, it could be, should be. Yeah, totally. All right, cool. Well, if you're listening to this now, uh, remember we don't sponsor this podcast. We, like Nate said, we get a lot of offers for sponsorship. You can sponsor it's me. All, person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sponsor, I mean. <laughs> but if you head to trainerroad.com and sign up, or if you share this podcast with your friends, or if you rate it, that is amazing to us. Like, uh, that's the whole value in all of this. So please do that. Share the podcast with everybody else. Go to trainerroad.com, sign up, give it a shot, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care.